Welcome to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling. You are about to discover impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you, so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Be sure you visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now tune in, get ready, and enjoy the journey of emerging as a leader of exception in the 21st century. Welcome everyone to the Find Your Leadership Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Vicki Nethling, coming to you from Roswell, Georgia. The goal of this podcast is to share topics and guests that will help you grow as a confident leader and take your business or your life to the next level. Today, my guest is Nancy Parsons. Let me tell you a little bit about Nancy. Nancy is the CEO and president of CDR Companies. It is a globally recognized expert in combining the science of assessments with the art of developing people. Nancy was the MECO, M-E-E-C-O, International Thought Leader of Distinction in Executive Coaching in 2019, and the author of the Amazon bestseller, Women Are Creating the Glass Ceiling and Have the Power to End It. Nancy and her team recently launched CDRU Coach, the first of its kind, an AI-type avatar coach that provides individualized feedback and development for all employees and was awarded the 2021 gold star for best new product or service of the year by Stevie Awards for Women in Business. Nancy's primary clients include global C-suite members and executive coaches. Today, I thought we'd talk about how inherent risk hold women back. Please join me in welcoming Nancy Parsons. Hey, Nancy. Hey, thank you, Vicki. Appreciate it. So you have a lot of things that you've been doing there. That's yeah. pretty impressive. And uh, a Stevie Ward award is nothing to uh, shake your hand to. I mean, goodness gracious. <laughs> I always start out with an easy question before we get into the meat of things and just let everybody know what part of the country do you call home? Uh, I'm in the Houston, Texas area. Our office is in Stafford. So southeast side of Houston. Nice. Southwest, excuse me, southwest side of Houston. Yeah, so recently I've been to Dallas and Fort Worth. I haven't been to Houston in a few years. Okay. But I know it's got a lot going on there. Absolutely. So. What are personality risk factors that we should be aware of? Okay. Now, everyone, as you know, everyone has innate strengths, mm -hmm. personality, inherent strengths, gifts, you know, to a nuanced level that set you apart from others, yeah. you know, and so forth. Well, we, and that's, you know, and everyone has that and we need to guide our careers towards those strengths. But on the other side of it, we also have inherent risk factors. Yeah. These are personality based also, but they show up under stress, conflict when facing adversity, <laughs> or if somebody's pushing your button. Yeah. Now think about it in business. How often is there stress and pressure? <laughs> so these are, and the, the biggest problem is 
people don't know what the risks are and yeah. they're showing up all the time yeah. and they undermine our effectiveness without our intention. They're just showing up and uh, kind of getting in the way of, you know, successful relationships, communications, or even our upward mobility. Yeah. I imagine during the last several years now, three, two, two and a half years, the people that had to do everything from their living room, oh. <laughs> mom, teacher, coach, whatever, um, the inherent risk probably started to show up a little bit more. That's right. More stress, mm. more, more balls in the air. Yeah. So knowing what they are is really important, right? Yeah. And I saw so many of my friends and coworkers kind of just like throw in the towel type of thing. You know, I, I'm just, I, I have to just cut out something. And it, it always, it, it wasn't always the right thing to cut out, but you know, you. Yeah, it's true. Their decision, but you know, you get to that point where you just think I have to get rid of something. Right. Right. How do I get back to some place that's normal? Yeah. You can only, you know, go on overdrive for so long. Right. You know? Right. And, and I, I know I've said this before, but I truly think that COVID was uh, God's way of saying, y'all are just doing too much. So let me just put a, <laughs> put a little hold on you for a while. Let, let you reflect a bit. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah. And I think it also gave us a way to think about do we have to do it this way? Yeah. Isn't there another way that yeah. we can be doing this? Do we really have to be on the highway an hour and 15 minutes each way mm -hmm. every day? Right. And, and it's not only the individuals, but it really made companies think twice about it. You know, these oh. companies were trying to buy more properties to expand their, their home offices because people were overcrowded. And, and all of a sudden they, they found, well, maybe I don't need to do that. You know, exactly. I know, you know, uh, even in our small business, we always did for executive coaching certification, live workshops, right? Well, now we do virtual. And for that particular purpose, I think it's better because, you know, individual executive coaches, you know, are independent contractors. It's pretty yeah. expensive for them to fly around the world or wherever to get to a workshop. So, right. and what I also like, what I learned through this was giving them a week to space it out where they're learning content content and practicing is much better than two days where their heads in a whirlwind. Yeah. No, <laughs> so the learning is stickable where probably before we were going a little too fast, you know. Yeah. Well, you're trying to jam it in to make it affordable and, and right. whatnot. Um, and, and also, you know, I love the whole thing of the, the Zoom rooms and the breakout rooms before, you know, again, you were constrained by the space and right. the cost of it. So you might've, instead of doing smaller groups, you might've put 10 or 15 people in. Whereas if you had three or five, it would have been much richer conversation, which we found by right. being able to do these smaller Zoom rooms. That's right. Absolutely. So fortunately there were benefits too. I mean, there was yeah. a, lot of a lot of downsides, but an awful lot of benefits for yeah. us. I, I can't wait to, to read all about this from in here's, to come of everybody's um, experiences. I think there's going to be a lot of books written. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have examples of an executive who derailed themselves or became derailed because of his or her risks? Oh yeah. You know, um, 
we one that's most prevalent, believe it or not, and a lot of women do have this, but it's not the most prevalent risk for women, but mm-hmm. it's there for many women is the perfectionist. Oh women my God. Yes. 11 different <laughs> risks. Uh, the most predominant for women is worrier, but perfectionist. Here's the problem with perfectionist as you move up the ladder, or if you're a business owner, you can't do everything. And these perfectionists and they're all, and they're a perfectionist by way of their strengths and their risks. So mm-hmm. they kind of double down in their risks, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I had a CEO who derailed as well. And that was a Canadian-based company. And another C- uh, CHRO derailed. Uh, one was man, one was woman. But the problem was the same. They couldn't let go. They yeah. had to be involved in decisions five, six levels down. And they drove their people crazy. Even their like VPs, senior VPs, whatever, drove them absolutely bonkers, wanted reports on the weekends, just micromanaged and hovered. Mm -hmm. And they ended up being terminated for being over-involved in decisions that they shouldn't have been involved with, being time wasters. And so I I actually, there's the risks, you know, there's ways you can work on them and get better, you know, increase your batting average. But I would say... Being a compulsive perfectionist, that's yeah. a tough one to tame. That's yeah. a tough one because, you know, they just have such an urgent need for all this detail, mm-hmm. right? And nobody can do it as, as well as they oh, can. Oh, right, right. And they, <laughs> yes, exactly. So they, they, they're they controlling, super yes. controlling. And I hate to say it, we also see generally a lot of these high perfectionist or detailed people in HR. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, often. So... Yeah, I was just going to say one one of the areas I think also they get stuck is the onboarding process for businesses of any size is so important. And when you get those layers of approval, it just gets ridiculous that instead of days to approve a new person, <clears throat> it might take weeks or months. Right. And then that person, that good high quality person is moved on. They've taken another job, right? Yeah. They're not going to wait for that. And and the other thing that happens, we've seen this too. I've actually, and one was actually a VP of sales for a, <clears throat> another company that was a um, medical device, right? Yeah. He was so, and first of all, he had no business running sales because he drove salespeople crazy and and they drive the good people out. Oh yeah, so Not sure. only on the onboarding part, but a salesperson doesn't want to be, you know, beaten down with all the details and control. They need space. They're kind of an entrepreneurial inside your organization, right? Right. So you really have to be careful. So while those activities can be good at lower levels in leadership and supervision to, you know, in mm-hmm. administrative roles, beyond that, the perfectionist is, is can really be problematic if they can't learn to let go. Yeah. And, and it, I think it, it really backfires in so many ways. One, if, if you don't, if you micromanage, then you really are the person's questioning whether you trust them. Exactly. Um, integrity and, and whatnot. Yep. It's opposite of what we want in leadership. Right. We have to, our, our, we're to help people, to help them achieve, not for us to hover and help them grow, not to stifle them and, um, you know, and look over their shoulder every minute. I mean, yeah. And, and what about it, the innovation and the creativity? What does it do to that? I, I just, I'm working on an article today about that very point <laughs> that they're like, I don't know if you've ever heard of Chick Thompson. He wrote this book years ago called What a Great Idea. And he's had a couple of versions of it. 
how to nurture innovation, but he calls those people boo leaders. Instead yeah. of cheerleaders, they're boo leaders. And they're always stuck in my head because they shoot down new ideas. Yeah. Or they ask so many questions uh, that combined with what we call a cynic too. Cynics can do that as well. That people say, I am not doing this. It's not worth even trying. Yeah. You know? they, but yeah, like they, you said, it's, it's trust. It's, mm-hmm. That's not how you build trust or that's not how you show respect for somebody. Yeah, for sure. And that's the basics, you know, showing respect for your people. Can anyone be trained to serve as an effective leader? No, period. I, another point of my article today is that when we started our business in 1998, one of our taglines was, you can't teach fish to fly. Okay. <laughs> now, that's cool. But if they have a moderate pulse on it, you know, they might, some people are just more naturally inclined to lead and that's great. They're easy to work with and develop. You might have somebody who has a moderate pulse. Yes, you can work with them and train them and help them. But um, give you an example. Uh, years back, uh, Jared Sandberg, who was an uh, author, a writer at the Wall Street Journal, took our mm-hmm. assessments. He took two other companies' assessments, but he reported this in his article. Out of leadership energy, which you can score up to 100 percentile, mm-hmm. he only scored six percentile. That means don't even think about a leadership role, right? And he said, I think she's right because my dogs don't even listen to me. But two other companies, he, you know, for his research, he had assessments and feedback with two other companies. Those both of those companies told him he had leadership capabilities and potential just need to be developed. And I said, don't even think about it. Hmm. The point is you want to help people with where they're really strong, where their gifts are. Yeah. We don't want to blow smoke. If somebody doesn't have a leader profile, if you put them in a leadership role, guess what? They're miserable and everybody around them is miserable. Yeah, right. you know, and think about it. Some of your best thought leaders, some of your you know, physicians, surgeons, uh, professors, whoever, nurses, teachers, they don't all want to lead, but they're really good at their craft. Yeah. Right? Yeah, very true. I had a programmer that had no desire to move up, but so often we find somebody that is good in their job. And so the next step for them is to go into supervision or management and they suck at it. They're just Well, and that's where we need to have other tracks for them. Yes. Maybe they could be a mentor, a professional mentor, or mm-hmm. you know, or something else, serve on a team. Yeah. But we don't need to push everybody up the leadership ladder. And that yeah. is so wrong. And we shouldn't only honor those who are in leadership. We really need to make sure we, you know, our individual contributors are our bread and butter. Right. They really for are. Sure. So if we, if we, that's why we did our CDRU coach so we can coach everyone. You don't have to be a top leader. Everyone should have good feedback and be self-aware, you know, to drive their careers in the best direction. And so you understand their true talent. What are they really good at? Right. You know, from the company perspective. And if you think of it, that leader that does have those, those skills and that natural ability to reach people, to, to lead empathetically, to, to really, um, understand how to motivate their people. They might not be the subject matter expert for what their team is doing. And that's okay because exactly. they're not doing that job. <laughs> that's it's, right. That They are not the individual contributor in that. They yeah. are leading a team, helping them with their skills and the resources they need, the tools they need, the support they need. So yeah. they're really the support role, the leader. They're the coach. Yeah. You're yeah. not the players on the field, <laughs> you know? One of my mentors always said to me, I'm the dumbest person in the room and I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, uh, being able to really look and tap into a, a diverse team of talent is what yeah. we look for. 
you know, not cloning, not everyone being the same, but the, yeah. the more diverse, you're going to have a stronger team. And, um, the, and the leader's more kind of the orchestra orchestrator or, you know, or the, like I say, the, the conductor, the he's, the, I always say I'm, uh, I'm the quarterback. That's right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Exactly. I'm happy to be the quarterback. All right. So we talked about men. We talked about women. How do men leaders differ uh, risk differ from the women? Yeah. So in our research and we research North America and Western Europe mm -hmm. in, in my second book. And what we found was really surprising. So men leaders, we measure 11 different risks. Men tend to be upstagers, egotists and rule breakers. OK. Meanwhile, the women are warriors was their highest mm -hmm. risk. And these are statistically significant in very mm -hmm. large pools of, of uh, individuals. So what this means is men tend to be aggressive, use aggressive, moving against, fighting and, and saying, yeah, I can do it even if they don't know, you know, we've yeah. heard those things. But under their risks, they show up that way. They're bravado, they're tough, mm -hmm. they seem courageous, all these things. Meanwhile, the women who might be the stronger leader, right? The better contributor. Yeah is going inside her head thinking, am I 100% right? Overanalyzing and overthinking. So who do you think gets the promotion? The man. Right, because she's pulling herself out of the running. Mm -hmm. So that's why the title of my book, but we can change this. Yeah. Women can develop ways. And this is the whole point to not go there, to yeah. know, like I have a little um, analysis form in my book, or I can send it to anybody who requests it complimentary. How do you analyze your risks? You know, yeah. if you tend to go worry and, and uh, overanalyze, what can you do instead? Right. You know, and also look at when was the last couple of times I did it? You know, what happened? What was the consequence? But the real important thing is, what can I do differently? Right. And the other thing I want to say with the risks, though, and this is probably the most important thing I'll say is you must practice something different. You yeah. can't just say it. You have to practice under simulated stress. When Joe pushes my button, I usually go quiet because I go inside my head. You have to have a plan. You have to execute, but you have to practice because mm -hmm. if you don't practice, guess what? You can't just think, oh, I'll do something different because you won't. <laughs> no, because because you have that voice in your head of you've screwed up, you failed. It's going to happen again. I know it. I know it. And so you just. Right. It's a, it. It, the If we boil down the construct, it's a fear of failure. It's a fear of making a mistake. Yeah. So we have to help women figure out what is my plan and what am I going to do instead of going there? Because I'm acknowledging I normally go there, but I'm not going to. I'm going to anticipate Joe sets me off or pushes my buttons. But this is how I'm going to I'm going to have a plan and I'm going to execute my plan yeah. and I'm not going to react, you know, the way I normally do. But it's kind of that whole awareness. And then and as I say, that I think the practice is so important so that you start to feel comfortable asserting yourself in those tight moments, you know, in those tough times. And um, because normally, like I say, when we see the the profiles of those strengths we talked about, yeah. women are often, like you said, the better leaders, better at relationships, better at supporting their teams, all of those things. But they fall behind because the men are like, I can do it. And I got this or stealing credit and all kinds. The risk. <laughs> the funny thing is the risks are all ineffective. None of them are good. Right. Yeah, they right. hurt us, whether they're an aggressive or whether they're one that we're seeking affection or whatever it is we're doing, uh, moving away, avoidance. They're all nonproductive. But what happens is women get hurt more by their risks than men. Men get propelled forward while women are being held back. Yeah, absolutely. So 
but we can help them. Like I said, the good news is that they, if women recognize this in themselves, they can really work on it, work on a plan. And, mm -hmm. and what we want them to do is increase their batting average. So there might be times you're still going to worry. You're, it's not going to go away totally. Right. But in those important moments in business or when you're with your team or your boss or your customer, that's when we want to help you, you know, step up and do the right thing, you know, stay calm and do the right thing. I always say, if it doesn't kill me or put me in jail, I'm going to have to try it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. Okay. So since we measure 10 facets of motivation, right? what is the most prevalent of those factors? Oh, wow. That one's a tough one. Uh, you know, it really depends on the culture. Like in Canada, for example, they're most prevalent, believe it or not. And it is not that way stateside in manufacturing and retail. Mm -hmm. Their highest of the 10 is companionship and affiliation. Oh, really? That doesn't happen in the U.S. Mostly in the U.S. depends on the industry. It really is more industry or even somewhat regional, but more industry dependent. Like in the energy industry, it's going to be scientific reasoning. Mm. Right. It's the number one because you've got a bunch of engineers and techie right, people. Right. Uh, same with Silicon Valley. It's going to be scientific reasoning. Uh, if we're in an advertising uh, firm or newspaper, it might be artistic endeavors, mm, right? Right. Um, now, leaders often have high power and competition too. So some, you'll get more than one, you'll get, you know, multiples. Mm -hmm. um, but really it is kind of interest. Oh, like, and the other one that I love is amusement and hedonism, right? Mm. So like Southwest Airlines or in the entertainment industry, you're going to see high amusement and hedonism. People like to have fun, cut up, you know, right, right. and enjoy and smile a lot where banking on average, their scores are about five percentile out of a hundred on amusement and hedonism. So when you go in there, <laughs> if you start cracking jokes or telling stories, they're, they're like, you won't fit into the culture. So it, in the aggregate, the drivers tell us the living culture of your organization. Wow. So yeah. It's really exciting. I know when I early in my career, I did um, personality assessments for the company that I worked for to, right. to see if that manager, that person was really someone that we should put into management. And I found it really fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and it does. It, it really helped me as a leader to recall and see the results that I had. Good. Good. It, um, so if someone has a risk factor. Right. Everybody has risk factors, by the way. Everybody I, so when we see we have a risk factor, how do we overcome it? What are some simple steps? And you talked about this earlier, but, you know, for those of you that didn't write them down, <laughs> right. now's the time to get your pencils out. So what are some simple steps that we could do to overcome our risk? Well, the first one is, and again, I'll send you this form that they can use, is to identify it. What is it mm -hmm. of the 11? What which risks, and most people have more than one risk, but you'll have one or two that are stronger than the others, right? Okay. Um, so let's say, um, you know, I don't know, pick a risk. Uh, say I'm an upstager. Right. Okay, upstager is a person who talks too much, kind of babbles or or is talking past people. A lot of salespeople do that. They just keep going, going, going when you're like easy killer. <laughs> so give me a minute. Yeah, I'm an upstager, definitely. But I also have some detached, which sometimes helps. But anyway, uh, so it's that, first of all, knowing it and really thinking about when's the last couple of times I've done this, that mm. it 
that it had an adverse effect. Mm -hmm. It just didn't go well, or it didn't show respect for another person or other people didn't get to talk, you know, when did, and, and what happens is upstagers usually get passionate. So they go, go, go. Um, So it's thinking about it, catching yourself in the moment. When I start to go there, can I pull it back? Take a breath. Better yet, better yet is anticipating it and preventing it. Yeah. But at least even if, or like if you're hyper moody is another one. So if you feel your emotions start to go, that's one where you need to, you need to nip that one in the butt, right? You need to (laughs) do some deep breathing. Mm -hmm. Three, I say three in and out deep breaths to help get your composure back. Because if you go into hyper moody, it usually sets off your other risks, right? So, and and then also with hyper moody, sometimes even just getting up and changing your position, yeah. getting up and getting a glass of water. Mm-hmm. But the but again, the whole bottom line is for any of them is knowing it and saying, yeah. putting a label on it. My hyper moody is rising. I need to do something or I'm be, I'm I'm going. I've been detached. I haven't talked to anyone in 20 minutes. I'm overly concerned about this project or I'm hiding. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I even tell people to put a timer on, like for worriers and detached, like set your watch for 20 minutes and don't go any deeper than that. Then mm-hmm. you have to reach out or go do something different. So oh, coming cool. up with these little tactics, but awareness is first. Yes, I do this. Um, and then coming up with a list. Now, of course, in my book, I have all kinds of things people can do to to uh, develop in these different risks, all different 11 risks. Now, the women tend to have generally... <clears throat> higher worrier, women mm-hmm. who are rising. Now, women executives and CEOs, though, are different. I, I should point that out. Interestingly, women CEOs risks look just like men's. They're egotists, mm-hmm. upstagers, and rule breakers because they're like, they're well, pushing they, and moving. They're fighters, right? Well, and, and also, you know, they were trained by the men too. Yeah, or they, yeah, or they, they were emulated sports, them, or they were, you know, they when they were raised. These things start from when you're infant all mm-hmm. up. Okay, so by the time you're an adult, they kind of are there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so then, but then the corporate executive women are not, um, they're not egotists and upstagers, but they are. I mean, they're not egotists or rule breakers, but they are upstagers. But they have really high relationship building on their character, mm-hmm. you know, on their strengths. But at least the difference between the worrier and the upstager is at least she can stay engaged in the conversation. The worrier goes quiet. Yeah. So that's the problem with the worrier. And it, like I said, some of the some of the uh, best, highest potential women tend to worry. So we need to help them with that. For sure. So <clears throat> the last question I have before our rapid fire is how do people respond to being coached by an avatar? That's a great question. You know, I could send you, obviously, here's the thing. that Some people do struggle a little with it. Most people love it. The reason most people love it and we get great feedback is because they're not getting this feedback anywhere else. You're not yeah. going to get it. No company is going to pay for their, you know, admins or their accountants and others to get this type of in-depth assessment and coaching. Hmm. So they appreciate it. Oh, and the other thing is a lot of like your, a lot of your financial and your tech types love it. They actually like it more than a human because they don't want this stuff from a human. They feel safer. It's yeah. private. I Nobody's was just going to say. Them. So in that sense, I would say the majority really like it, respond well, and they know it's their way to get some feedback that they need. And we also have 
developmental action planning modules, career action planning. We even help them understand if they have STEM talent, possibly, right? So they love that. that It's very personal. They can take their time. They can go back to it. On the downside, you know, you do get some people like perfectionists. I don't like the lips. I don't like the way (laughs) the car talks. I'm like, let's see the big picture, though. What is the information you're getting? I know it makes me crazy. You know, we're using the best technology we can today, and they are humanoid, but they're not human. And the other thing is, though, with the feedback, it's not um, digitally generated. It's actually feedback from real coaches. So we script it all in. It's not just like, you know, but it's very personalized. It'll it'll talk to you, Vicky. I see you scored this over here and it goes into and it even connects the different data points for a person that they have. So it's really you ought to try it. I'll, I'll have to. Yeah, have I definitely it. want to try it. So, it. Can you argue back with it? <laughs> well, you could. I mean, it's not. That's the other thing. It's not a two way. It's right. one way. It's giving and, you and feedback. So, yeah. I think. So, yeah, that, you could cuss at it all you want. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. But you can oh, just other, let it. Well, the other cool thing is though. If you don't like your avatar, you can change it. We have about seven <laughs> or eight you can pick from. So you can fire them and get oh. somebody. Well, and they have, they're all different styles in the way they talk. Yeah, I was going to say, I want a British one. <laughs> yeah, we have a British, we have an Australian. And then we have pe- some that talk, we have an Asian person. You know, if people talk fast, yeah. I don't like the ones that talk too fast. I prefer yeah. a slower cadence when they talk. And then you also, we also have some videos in there and other other visuals that are showing in charts and and any chart that's imported in there is your chart. It's not mm-hmm. a generic. It's all about you. So it's pretty cool, cool that way. Yeah, um, that is. But yeah, so there is. We do, and I, and I hate and I hate to say it, but a lot of times it's the HR people who tend to be persnickety, <laughs> you know, because they are more perfectionists. Yeah. Right. Also, I think they're worried that you're taking your their job away. <laughs> well, that might. Well, they actually though they can then use the data to make better people yeah. decisions on you know, promotion, succession, things like that. So it actually can help them, but if they got to get them past the change and the technology, right? Right, right. Okay, time for rapid fire. So these are just uh, sentence questions, mostly. Yeah, yours are all questions. And just whatever comes to the top of your head, uh, as brief as you can, but to to the point, I don't want to cut you off. So how do you rate overall leadership effectiveness today? Poorly. Yeah, yeah. Really poorly. Because there's too many leaders, two reasons. Many leaders are not in the right jobs because they just put them in for wrong reasons. And number two, the risk factors are running amok. So these ineffective behaviors are impacting performance. So what I'm seeing too is we had all these people in the last maybe eight years downsizing. So we, we... got rid of people and and then COVID hit and we had people leave. Right. <laughs> and so right, now you have new people that are in manager roles that have no idea what they're doing. Correct. And and again, they're not on the right seats on the bus kind of thing. Yeah, so, right. Uh, because unless you, you just, use scientific measures to really make sure you're right fitting people, mm-hmm. in addition to then those other things you're looking at. Uh, there's just too many mistakes made. Yeah. And the numbers show it for, for, mm-hmm. for decades since I've been doing this and before, you know, mm-hmm. the studies show that only 50 to 70 or 50 to 75 percent of leaders are ineffective. Yeah. So only 25 to 50 percent are effective that yeah. you wouldn't put up with a piece of equipment like that. You wouldn't invest in a you know yeah. piece of equipment that only worked half the time. <laughs> 
and you just even the people that are hiring I don't think are looking for the right things. You know, when I hired people, I just, I didn't look at their resume to make my decision. I asked them questions. I needed to know about you and your attitude and your mindset and your personality. I can't change any of those things right? uh, uh, quickly, you know, over time, maybe if you see, uh, we can change behavior, but you have to want to do that. But, you know, I can teach you software and I can teach you exactly we can teach them the skills right you can't change who they are yeah yeah so I don't care if you you're a perfectionist in powerpoint I can teach you that right is that important to this job yes you know kind of thing so you're right but it but if I'm putting you in a leadership where you've got a team and you have zero people skills you're not going to be successful exactly Okay, prepare for the future when it comes to talent. What do we do? <laughs> I think we just started talking about that. Yeah, I mean, you really have to, I think number one, become self-aware. You know, studies show that only 10 to 15% of people are self-aware. So the problem is, and we see this even in college, every college kid I've ever coached as a you know favor to a, a customer or a friend was in the wrong major. It's hard yeah. to know yourself and what your true talent is. So get a get a great assessment, understand that, and then go. So getting in the right track, because you want to go by your strengths and then what your passion is, what are your drivers and rewards, right? What motivates you? If you get those two things aligned, life will be good. You'll have a great career. It could be like me and wait till you're 50 by then. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and that made college so easy because I I knew all some of the answers already. Yeah. I mean, I did mine at nighttime while I was a parent, you know, so we all have a different path. And, and my original idea of what I wanted to do in accounting and work 10 years in an accounting group before as a secretary that 10 years taught me I did not want to be an accountant. Good, good. Yeah, that that would be like my least picked job would be an accountant. Yes. They wouldn't let me in the door. <laughs> Why do companies make so many bad selection and promotional decisions? I think we've kind of talked yeah, about that. Yeah, because they're one. not using scientifically validated yeah. assessment measures. And they I really agree. need to. I agree. Good analytics. They need good analytics and they don't have them. Mm-hmm. So what information should you take away from an interview? And I know I started to talk about this, but to really be comfortable and confident that you've got the right person in the right seat. Again, for me, of course, I have this bias where we use the assessment. So we actually have interview questions based on that too. So what you want to do, you want to make sure that that person, like you said, their innate capabilities, their strengths align with the job. They can develop more skills going further. I'd mm-hmm. rather have a le- lower skilled person who's the right fit than have a highly skilled person who's a pain in the butt yeah. or gets in and they have other behavioral issues that aren't going to work for you. Yeah. So you want to make sure they have that fit and they are motivated. Like you're not hiring somebody with high amusement and hedonism, hedonism to work in the bank. Yeah. Right. They're, they're just not going to work. Sure, it's a line that they're going to feel satisfied and happy mm-hmm. with the work that they're doing, not just I, a I, paycheck. I know um, the group that I was trying to hire for were managers in a fast food where that manager had to be a customer service person and right. you know a, a, a team lead and all those things rolled into one. And anybody that had a scientific background where they wanted to just sit in an office with the door closed and please don't knock. 
Exactly. They weren't going to be successful. And, or just uh, a numbers person is not going to yeah, be successful. They exactly. really have to have that general management and customer mm-hmm. face, right? right exactly. Right. But, you know, again, looking at the resume, this person might look like the person that we should hire, but no. One other caution. I always tell my clients, you know, interviews can also be kind of a mess because so often people who interview best perform the worst and people who don't interview well can be a star you know they might be sweaty they might be nervous they might stutter a little but they Mm -hmm. could be a star and hr people get rid of those people but they can be the best so be careful that we don't you know everybody's a little different on interviews you can be oversold and underwhelmed by other people who are really stars so you need to dig at that better and then why uh what would be the ideal client for Nancy Parsons? The ideal client for me would be, uh, you know, really mid-sized to large company, but even we work with small companies who want to develop their people, who want to really know the true talent, kind of do an inventory of talent, but also help each person individually grow in the right Right. ways, the best ways that match both both that person's interests and the company's interests. And, but I also think for the future, if you don't know, have a full inventory of your talent, you're losing yeah. because you could be recruiting somebody externally yet have somebody better inside and you don't even know it. Yeah. And it's hard to compete for talent and talent's going to get tighter and tighter. Mm-hmm. You're better off to develop your own because they like your brand. They like you. They know your customers. So for me, it's companies that want to develop their talent top to bottom. Yeah. And those people that are in your camp already, you need to get to know them. Exactly. Yeah. And this is a good way. And then we do like team workshops afterwards using the mm-hmm. data. Right. You know, it's it's really a lot of fun. And people people love their own data too, whether they get it <laughs> by the avatar or we still do live coaching, you know. For the oh, people. gosh. <laughs> we still do live coaching, but, uh, but now we can reach everyone, which is kind of cool. Awesome. All right. This is time for me to warn those that are just listening in that if you haven't grabbed your pencil and paper, please do so. I'm going to share... Nancy's contact information. All right. So we have contact information is, let me just move this a little bit to the side, cdrcompanies.com. And she's on LinkedIn. Just look up Nancy Parsons. And I'm going to let you talk about your um, gift that you have or gifts. Yes. Um, So we, I have two videos, uh, two free videos. I did a conference called how um, how to conquer your inner victim. And that deals with several of the risks we talked about today. Are you a perfectionist? Are you a worrier? Are you a pleaser? Right. And helps women especially overcome mm-hmm. that. And, um, and then another uh, video that was done by local TV station here, how personality analysis can help employees find the right fit in their job. Kind of the things we were talking about there too. Awesome. And you did also talk about your book again. Yes. And the book goes into all the risks and talks about the differences between men and women leaders, but really does an analysis of all the risks. It also introduces strengths as well as motivation, but helps people to overcome their risks Mm -hmm. to really build a plan so they'll be more effective and they won't miss out on those promotions or get overlooked and that sort of thing. So that's, and I really, of course, I want to help women because the numbers are terrible in terms of women really right. being promoted to top levels. But I think a big part of it is we're pulling ourselves out of the running. And I think 
you know, we can stop doing that. And, and I think the tide is changing and, you know, uh, you know, that's why I got into this and I'm sure that's your motivation too, is that we're tired of, of this and we know it can, and we, it can change, but I always think you can't talk about change. You have to be the change. So exactly. There we go. 100%. It has been just so wonderful talking with you. I, um, I seem to get some wonderful guests, and you are definitely one of them. Oh, you've got you. great tips. You've got great information. And being a, a user and understander of how impactful assessments are, believe her and use her. If you, <laughs> if you have a midsize or large company, uh, you need to uh, get with, the, um, with Nancy and CDR. This is, this is something that will help you, especially now where we can't afford to make mistakes right now. So we rebuild uh, a lot of companies. We've got to get this right. And um, your employees will thank you and, and your business bottom line will thank you for sure. So thank you so much. Um, I always end by reminding everyone that life is a journey and it is up to you to enjoy the ride. This is Vicki Netling signing off. Thank you for tuning into the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling, where we share impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Remember to visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast.